Hey friends, this is Fun Therapy, and my name is Mike Foster. And together we're going to dive into the messy and hard and brutal parts of our stories. And we're going to do it all with a smile. We're going to challenge those three lies of identity that Henry Nouwen talks about. Lie number one, I am what I have. Lie number two, I am what I do. And lie number three, I am what other people say or think of me. We want to challenge these lies. We want to build into you your true identity. And that is the beloved. That is who you are. I love what my favorite author, Brendan Manning, says in the book, Abba's Child. He says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. My name is Mike Foster, and this is Fun Therapy. Before we get started with Fun Therapy, I wanted to tell you again about a new book that my wife and I have created for couples called Five Dates. And whether you're dating, engaged, or married, it's a his and her workbook to help create closeness and intimacy and connection in your relationship. And we go about it in a very counterintuitive way. And I want to be honest with you. I'm always honest with you, but but let me be honest with you. Something I probably wouldn't typically share. I, for the most part, not in every case, but for in a lot of cases, I do not like most relational development books or tools or retreats. And here's why. Because I think they set you up to fail instead of set you up to win. In fact, my wife and I's biggest fight ever in our 27 years of being together happened at a marriage retreat. And so we have specifically and strategically created a tool that will set you up to win in your relationship. How many of you have books right now that that you've bought to improve on your relationship and you've only read two chapters? And this is probably for the guys that that, (laughs) that this is true of. The women have read the whole thing. The guys have read two chapters. We created these books uh, to really take into consideration learning styles, the way men and women process information. Uh, We've kept it fun and exciting and visual. And there's like great design and fun exercises and assessments. And if you go to fivedates.co, you can learn more about the workbooks. You can uh, learn about the process that we take you through and I, I really think this is, could be a very powerful tool for you and your partner. You can also see a picture of my wife, Jennifer. Uh, as I mentioned, we've been together for a long time now, and uh, our marriage and our relationship is not perfect. It's messy, just like life, but we are definitely figuring out some things uh, together, and we share that in these workbooks. Check it out, 5dates.co. All right, friends. Well, we're going to do something a little bit different on this episode. I had a chance to be in Nashville, Tennessee with my good friend, Miles Adcox. And Miles 
and I were kind of new friends, but we're good friends because we, we, I think, are cut from the same cloth. Miles is the owner and CEO of OnSite, an internationally known therapeutic and personal growth center, which uh, Miles has been featured on Good Morning America in 2020. He's a regular guest expert on the Dr. Phil show, and he's he's on the doctors and A&E's intervention. You probably have seen him on TV. I sat down with Miles not to necessarily have him cry with me, which a lot of my guests do. Um, we love tears around here. Tears are honest things. Um, they're the truth tellers. But I didn't sit down with Miles to really talk about his story, even though we're going to do a little bit of that. I really want to sit down with Miles and say, teach us some tools. Tell us about what works to help people navigate trauma and addiction and a broken identity. How do we recover when life is hard? And Miles is a expert, a national leader in these topics. And so I think you're going to find this episode incredibly helpful in terms of as you think about your story and who you are, and maybe some of the blocks uh, that you have, and maybe some areas where you're stuck right now, the things that Miles and I talk about are going to be super helpful. So I look forward to you hearing from Miles as we talk about new ways to be free. So we hear the word trauma a lot. Uh, you're really miles to me. The um, you deal with this topic every single day. Mm. So you're, you've devoted your life to helping people through it. What's um, what's an important thing for people to know about trauma, or what do you think is um, misunderstood about it? Mm. I think, in large part. People assume trauma to be um, overt uh, abuse, so overt sexual, physical, emotional abuse. I think it's way more than that. An expanded definition that I like of trauma is anything other than nurturing. Hmm. And if you're a human being, you experienced that somewhere along the timeline of your life. So I really look at, I think, all pathology I mean, defining pathology is uh, resistant to change behavior or stuck behavior is rooted in emotional trauma. So I really think there's a broad stroke that we're just starting to understand, one, about how the brain responds to trauma, but just the fact that everybody experiences it at some level. Now, we know everybody's brain responds differently to it based on your early imprint and your attachment, but for the most part, you're not really going to escape it. And I think when we begin to start to understand that, we build more empathy across the lanes of acute trauma versus somebody who got left at the the, the school the bus stop. Mm. You know, because we all can relate to, to being hurt at some point. Why why do you think we run away from it so often, or are scared of it, both in our own lives and in, in our friends' lives and the people that we're doing life with? We learn that. I think we learn that somewhere, especially men. But I think we get an early imprint of the way we're supposed to navigate struggle, challenge, pain, problems. And that is, uh, if we don't um, see them, acknowledge them, deal with them, then we must not have them. So I think we just box them in. We armor up. 
and try to cruise through life as if that is some picture of strong or strength. And it's actually counterintuitive to, to reality. But I think it's a lot of cultural influence and some of our early imprints of just generational influence of how to deal with emotion. So you you use experiential ther- therapy here at Onsite. And why why is that particular modality of treatment towards dealing with trauma so effective versus maybe some other other styles or modalities that could be used? I think all modalities have a place and they're all important, but I think it's a mistake that largely most counseling or counseling is considered a talking profession. Mm. And it's, it's, that's traditional. And ultimately the part of the brain that talk therapy engages is not the part of the brain where change usually happens. It's got its place and it's well-researched. I like curating experiences because if I tell you something, I activate a third of your brain. If I show you something, I activate two-thirds. If I make it kinesthetic and put it into action, we activate all of it. Mm. And I believe that anything that can be said can be shown. And everybody's had that. You've had that along the way. You've had some creative teacher or friend that you never forgot because they were curious enough to get out of the box and create a scene that is your story for you to be able to manipulate the narrative towards your favor versus just tell you what you need to do. The So I'm here at the um, uh, at Onsite doing some training for a couple of days with you and Bill Loki and your amazing team. And one of the things, one of the lines that has stuck out to me is this whole idea of the the brain needs to see itself or, or literally like the picture we could see the picture, and sometimes that's all we have to see, just the picture of visual, then we can actually begin to heal that, begin to work on that, be able to see some of the dynamics that are going on in the trauma, but that, that visual is so important, isn't it? Yeah, I think that the, to the ability that the brain can see itself, it can heal itself, because we're all naturally wired to move towards optimum performance. Think about sports or any other example where you play up and down, usually unconsciously to the person that you're with. I think the thing goes the same goes on how we do relationships and community and life. And so if we can visually see what's hurt us and then write a new script of what's possible, then we got a better chance of unconsciously moving towards it. So one of the things we did this morning, um, we we got paired up, and uh, which is really funny because they said pair up with somebody that you don't know. <laughs> I'm like, well, I know Miles. Miles <laughs> we were the last me. two standing. We were the last two standing. I, I couldn't find a partner, so uh, it was great. But we we drew these pictures of of a current struggle. Um, we had some. Or we shared our stories and then drew some pictures and um. And I, I actually, you shared your story, and then I drew, tried to create a visual, a metaphor of what I heard you saying, and it was like a three minute story that you shared about a current current thing that was going on in your life. Um, and I've, it was so interesting, and, and, and what you shared was so, I think, important and relevant to many people. Um, and this is called fun therapy. So, and I always ask people, like, what don't you want to talk about? But would you be okay talking about that, that picture that we drew together? Sure. Yeah. And some of the dynamics should, of that. I should, 
I should ask my wife if she's okay with me talking about it. <laughs> but I know her well enough to know she would she would certainly be okay with that. So yeah, yeah, I'd be open to it. So what share a little bit about what um you shared with me. I think people assume that because I'm in the helping profession and do this for the living, I bet they may think the same about you, that we're just naturally good at uh, sharing our struggle and our stuck and our pain and our insecurity. And our. And I am at some level on the surface because I have to. It's the nature of what I do. Mm. And and, I, and then I'm human. And so I certainly, you say, are you okay with that? I'm okay with it, but I have the same resistance as anybody else, any other guest might have. And the resistance for me around this particular picture is relevant to what's happening culturally with men uh, because I have shame about not living up to this expectation uh, that I thought I would be, could be, am going to be as a husband mm-hmm. and a dad. And I'm, granted, I'm newly into it, uh, you know, about to hit the four month mark. But uh, what I'm, this is the picture, back to the picture. The picture, is we are, and like you said, I know it's common, but I but I knew it going in. I was like, I see so many people who end up where we are. So my picture looked like a divide between um, myself and my wife. This new kid has come into the middle of our marriage and our relationship, and we're we've become roommates. Uh, and she had the insight to point it out. You know, she's often the much more as. Women are emotionally intelligent than men. But she pointed out and, and said, hey, I just don't think you're showing up for me or this relationship like you were and not feeling nurtured, not feeling connected. And I'm seeing a pattern that if we don't get in front of it now, it could really get out of control. And for me, as soon as you know she confronted it in a really kind way, she met a wall. I mean, I got really resistant because I felt like a threat. Mm. It wasn't what it was. It was a loving gesture towards, hey, I'd like more of you. And But for me, I thought, I'm failing as a husband. I knew I always would. I'm out. This is your fault. Boom. It was amazing how quick I dropped wow, into that. Yeah. And so I, I guess I, I'll be honest about what I said. I'm embarrassed about it. But uh, instead of saying, she basically said, we need to go to onside. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we try not to pull that card on each other. Um, we're big believers in what we do. We both do our work here, but we try not to pull it when we're in the midst of struggle. It's like, you need to go do some work. You need to go do some work. But we do sometimes, <laughs> and she did. And she was probably right, but it, instead of me seeing it as love orientation, my response was, well, I'll, we will go work on a relationship when you go get a therapist and work on yourself. And let me just pause for a minute and give the, the husbands out there some advice. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> and don't say that. Not a good not a good response to Yeah, that had nothing to do with her and everything to do with me. It was a, it was a really poor response, but it was just a response out of fear. Yeah. And shame. That what am I missing? I'm not doing this right. And it boom deflect. Did and, you feel uh, like emotionally flooded in that just that when she's giving that feedback to you? I did a lot of emotions, a lot of historical emotions kind of just welling up really quickly, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I I struggle with, uh, I hate perfectionism and I struggle with it. Mm-hmm. When I see it in other people, I dislike it. So I love messy. Mm-hmm. And yet I put an expectation on myself that because I'm privy to all this information and all these tools that I'm somehow supposed to pull it off um, perfectly. And 
it's a counter, totally counter to what we teach. And yet, I, honestly, I really struggle with it. And so my perfectionism kicked in and I was like, that was the threat. It's like, I'm not doing this right. Mm. And down the rabbit hole, instead of um, I could improve as a father and a husband, which who wouldn't want to do that? I thought I'm bad. I'm a bad human being. You know, I'm crap and just went on down the line. And so, you know, responded pretty poorly. So where does the where does the rabbit hole come from? For me, the imprint started pretty young. It started in a, um, you know, I think a lot of it comes from uh, family system. I think a lot of it comes from church. I think a lot of it just comes from, as I mentioned early, society. Uh, but the the pressure to um, be um, to put this this face on to be um, to never show weakness. I don't exactly have one particular. I've worked on it for a long time, but I don't exactly have one particular big moment where I felt like this is when it happened. I think it was just a combination of subtle cues that I pick up picked up through those three avenues that eventually led me to a place of um, um, always trying to outrun that to be this guy. Um, yeah. Do you feel like, I would think there would be some just additional dynamics with you in terms of there, there probably is this expectation that, well, Miles, because he does this every day and he's got all the tools and he knowledge and expertise that, that he must be okay. He must, he kind of must be perfect. <laughs> He's worked through all his problems and he shouldn't have problems and like perfect marriage, perfect relationship, perfect father. Like just because you've done, you have done so much work. Does that feel like at times where you wish you could just say, Hey, um, like be more vocal because you're in a leadership role but to be more vocal about like, Hey, it's still pretty messy here. Yeah. I mean, I, but, but it surprised me that, um, I underestimate people's ability to give empathy and grace because most people don't feel that way about me, hmm. but I feel that way about most people. Yeah, and so I I tend to put that unrealistic expectation that because I'm the head of a emotional wellness retreat center, personal growth retreat center, people must assume I've got my stuff together. Mm-hmm. And and I don't. I'm like everybody else. I'm working on it. I'm in process. I've done a lot of things. I'm really proud of where I am, but I'm still can be a hot mess you know, some days, but I've actually stood up in front of a lot of audiences and put myself out there in that way. And, and, and the response I get is beautiful. I mean, people give me a ton of grace and a ton of empathy. I actually have to watch that because I don't give myself of enough of a outlet to do it. That sometimes when I'm being invited to speak and to offer something to an audience, I'm up there doing my own work in front of them. Mm. I don't even realize it until after. And I was like, what was that really about? the need for me to go deep and, and let them know I'm flawed. Was that about me uh, uh, giving them permission to do that in their own lives? Or was that about me seeking validation from them because I don't get it anywhere else? Mm. It's probably a little bit of both, to be honest. So for you and, and just some of the, I mean, the realities of a new baby, 
um, learning this sort of new dance with with you and your wife. Um, what do you think the next steps would look like for you guys? Like what, what, cause I imagine there's couples who go like, yeah, that's us. We, we feel like roommates right now. I hate to say my wife was right, but my wife was right. I, I do think we need to, uh, I'm always a big advocate of getting relational support, you know, either from community friends or professionals. And I think we need to do it. I don't think we need to wait until, you know, we're a year into this or two years into this and we're at a crisis because you know the statistics at two years. I mean, it's unbelievable. We're mm-hmm. more likely to be not married than we are once a kid enters the picture. Mm-hmm. And we're we're stuff's at the surface at four months. So what do we need to do about it? I think we take pride in that and be like, boom, we're noticing something. She noticed it. And then I finally had owned it <laughs> and we're noticing something and, and we need to follow through and put some action around it and not just wait. So one of the things, um, one of the things we've been learning the past couple of days is really this whole idea of how to really show up for people in, in a caring, loving way. And I think a lot of us struggle with that, like how to do that. And we're sort of trained or have this sort of, we go into fix it mode or, you know, advice mode or whatever the, our particular <laughs> trigger, you know, favorite pathway is it makes us feel good, right? Um, what, give me some, some counsel on, I have a friend, I have people in my life who might be hurting, what, what's the most important thing that you can do for them that is actually helpful? This is a fun, it's fun for me because I just, I'm fascinated with and I love people. And so I'm in the right field. Um, And I I think you hit it. And I think people are surprised when they come here for a training because they come seeking skill and expertise. And we offer some of that, but that's back door to um, uh, how we show up for people and how well we're integrated and how well we know our own story so that we walk into other people's stories. That's my favorite way to train is let's put the skills out there and then who are you and who are you becoming makes us, I think. So in other words, the people who stick around the longest in the helping profession, and that's not just in the counseling world, that's ministers and healthcare professionals across the board. NGOs, nonprofit people who stick around the longest are the most effective change agents are those who get a PhD in themselves. Mm. And I think that is so key that you continue to do your work. You continue to get to know who you are that you so that you can uh, stand in and hold space for somebody's process and it be somewhat effortless because you're so okay and reconciled with yours, even the messy parts. It's kind of like, you know, watching Aretha Franklin sing, a song, it's effortless. Mm-hmm. And the less is more. The more, uh, the less we can do, um, the stronger we can be for someone's story. And advice, actually, I'm glad you brought up advice because it, it can be the go-to strategy relationally. And I can even get hooked in that with Vanessa because it just, it validates us. I need to know uh, what will help you. <laughs> and advice is so counterintuitive. We try to keep it completely out of our process, mm-hmm. especially experiential, is it's an advice-free zone, especially unsolicited. Yeah, uh, we like sharing and, and feedback as an alternative. That's so good. Um, and that whole point of getting a PhD in yourself is so key. I, I know when I came to on site, I guess it was 
five, six months ago and did um, the Living Centered program. Uh, six, six days of six hours of group therapy every day, uh, get, doing what you guys refer to as sculpts uh, with psychotherapy and working through creating these pictures around some of the trauma in our lives. And um, you know, I worked through some abuse, uh, sexual abuse from my childhood, um, some other traumatic things that had happened uh, early on in my life. And I, I just totally concur that without doing that that particular work um, and discovering those things about myself, uh, beginning to heal those parts of myself, understanding those parts of myself, um, knowing those things, now I am such a better heart handler with people. Mm. Um, yeah, there, and, and so it, it's a little bit counterintuitive the fact that you know work on your own story, work on your own heart and, and healing. And as you do that, you just become so much more effective. It's not a skill that's like an external skill that you got to go learn, right? Right. Something that some, you know, process thing. <laughs> it really is about, it's an inside job. Mm. Have you found that true with just like in your own story? hundred percent. And it, we, uh, open the door for anybody on our staff, the back office, across the board, uh, to be able to do workshops and to be able to do it. And some people, depending on the role, we require it. But I want uh, none of our team to feel like they are in a position to take people where they've not been willing to go themselves. I think it is it it's a game changer. What what is the what do you think is the most damaging thing we can do to hurting people? I think. We have to be really careful in the change process that we don't meet them with our unmet need. That's where agenda is born. Mm-hmm. Is there something I'm trying to reconcile? And I don't know what it is, but it's plain, you know, in therapy circles, we call it transference, countertransference. And I think, unfortunately, the way that traditional counselors are taught is uh, avoid it. It's bad. Instead of it's going to happen no matter, it's not if, it's when, embrace it. You're a human being, so of course you're going to get emotionally hooked by the person in front of you. Mm-hmm. Of course we're going to get emotionally hooked in community and relationships and church and friendships. It's it, When you know it, you can actually do something about it. But I think when we don't know it, we're blind uh, to this idea that we're trying to play out our unmet need through this person's story. That's when we usually get in front or behind them instead of beside them, and we start manipulating by pushing or pulling people or confronting people to try to get them where we think we need to go instead of where they actually need to go. Yeah, so really that that agenda piece or coming with the right intention toward into that that process with people, which is hard to do, isn't it? Very hard to do. And it's never something I don't think you perfect. I just think it's, it's I think there is, it's parts, uh, you know, um, and I, I, I'm hesitant to even use the word therapy and counseling because I think it's so misbranded. Mm-hmm. I think, unfortunately, we've set it up in society where that's where you go if something's wrong with you. And I think it needs to be flipped where it's not what's wrong with you that you would go seek out a better version of yourself. It's what's right with you. And I think when we get there, more particularly men, but more people in general are going to come out of lonely and come out of isolation and come out of hiding and seek connection, community, and empathy, which is, you know, we've never, we we're starving for it mm-hmm. uh, socially and culturally right now. So I think um, 
as, as I said, I'm hesitant to call it that, but that's the language that we have for it. But I think anybody helping anybody, um, it's about joining a person, not about doing something to someone. Hmm. That's such an important idea, isn't it? Just the, um, it's, it's, it's with, it's even some of the exercises we've been learning is that, you know, it's okay if the therapist is kind of quiet in terms of letting the person actually create the, that you're trying to help or is in the sculpt and creating this picture, let them create the picture. You don't have to come in and create the picture for them, but that actually is hard to sort of step back and allow them like you're, like the limelight is off of you or the spotlight's off of you. It's like your value all of a sudden is like, well, we don't really need you, Mike. We don't need you, Miles, because this person's doing great. They just kind of self-directed in terms of discovering some things about themselves. But it's it's tricky, isn't it? Like Because we want to be needed. Very much, yeah. And I think people get <clears throat> into professions like this because of their own brokenness, most of them, whether mm-hmm. they know it or not. And then they discover it along the way. And I think you, you would get into it because you've seen some outside criteria that would support that I'm good at doing this with people. And then after you're in for a while, you hope you land in a place where actually I'm good at doing me, Mm. which is going to make me good at supporting you. That's, that's really good. One of the things that is interesting about uh, a psychotherapy experiential model is how quickly emotion can be turned up. That's a, that's a phrase that we've been using a lot over the last couple of weeks, is like turning it up in the picture. And um, what, let's talk about emotions. Like, why are we so hesitant or afraid of those deep emotions? Everyone just kind of stuff them or pretend they're not there, but they're, they're right there. And literally in seconds, you know, just, you know, when you turn it up, all of a sudden it's like, tears and something's gotten really real very quickly why are emotions so important you know i think emotions are branded the wrong way too i keep using that terminology but i i really think we think there's good ones and there's bad ones and the bad ones are the enemy and you think about all the subtle messages you get every day about fear is the problem fear Mm -hmm. let's kill fear at all you know how many quotes say that and I don't think um, way too many. Yeah, fear is not the problem; it's our relationship with fear. Yes, and same with anger. They're basic human emotions that serve a purpose. And I think when we change our relationship with them, we stop avoiding them because we're going to avoid anything that feels like the enemy because it, it's a perceived threat. But when we begin to see it as an invitation, it's like they can have a seat at the table, just like joy and happiness, and we can all get along. It's kind of like uh, what was that uh, animated film? Uh, Oh, Inside Out. Yeah, so good. Yes. About the need for all emotion. And we just don't, maybe every kid in the world should watch it, or every adult in the world should watch it. Yes, for sure. I don't think we we give people enough permission to have all the emotions a seat at the table and have a healthy relationship with all of them. Therefore, we stuff them, run away, numb them out, medicate them, technology them to death, and everything in between. So, it's so, so true. And one of the things that I, that we discussed um, on a ride up here uh, to the property a couple of days ago is some of the things that are happening in our society around men and um, emotions and how we have learned to bottle emotions, especially kind of our anger and our sadness and we stuff it. And then all of a sudden it just pops out in rage and really destructive expressions. 
Um, what what would you what would, would be your hope in terms of for men in our society right now? Uh, and and like where where can we take some of this discussion around emotional health, emotional fitness, emotions in general, um, so we can be more healthy? You hear me teach on emotional fitness all the time or talk about it all the time. And I love that topic because it seems masculine, the idea of fitness, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of like improving your self-worth or becoming more uh, intuitive or self-aware doesn't seem to fit a male's persona. But being fit, meaning, hey, doing emotional work is just as important as doing physical work and going to the gym. But I do think males are at an all-time high and lonely in isolation and disconnected. And I think we're seeing that manifest in a lot of tragic ways. You know, uh, well, for one, let's just go right to the, one of the most tragic is what we're seeing with gun violence and mass shootings. You're mm-hmm. not, there's only one pattern in that and it's, it's men. You're not mm-hmm. seeing women shooting people up. And why is that? I mean, what a sad reality. And now you see what's happening with um, women, you know, speaking up and coming out about how men have hurt them. I think that's men, you know, hurt people, hurt people. So I think that's men hurting people. So I'm glad that there is a, uh, people are pushing hard on what's broken in in males right now. I just want to make sure that in the push, call it out, push it, scream from the rooftops, there needs to be accountability and there needs to be a place for redemption, reconciliation and recovery. Because if there's not, people are going to stay walled up. They're going to stay isolated. They're going to stay scared and they're going to run deny and do what they do. So I think if we could give men permission to feel, I mean, look, I'm, I am an outdoorsman. I love to hunt and fish. I love to ride horses. I'm a dream about being a cowboy one day. I play one sometimes. Um, uh, and, and I'm emotional and I'm sensitive and I like chick flicks and, uh, I'm everything in between. Mm -hmm. And I am, I think I'm, it's okay. I'm okay with that. It's awesome. It is all, I like to shop. People were, my wife was shocked at that. So most men don't like that. I can hang with her on shopping most days. I don't sit on the bench. I like it. And so there's parts of me as a man that I wasn't supposed to have. I wasn't supposed to be creative. I wasn't supposed to, and I am. And they're integrated and they're part of me. And it makes me who I am as a whole human being. And that's what I hope for men. Yeah, and that's and that's really the gift that... Uh, this work that you're doing on onsite is giving people it's the it's the permission to be who they are and embrace all of it um, and not not have to have live up to the societal standard of what you know, masculinity is or what success is or you know whatever your the picture is that you think you have to be um, we can just literally be ourselves and that's such a beautiful place to live in it's uh, um it's where we find our most joy right and most life so what would you say to to a guy who might be listening right now is like hey miles that that sounds really nice um but i have no idea where to start what would his first step be that's it that's the first step is i have no idea where to start if you could tell that to one other person then that is an opening Mm. You know, in, in the 12-step world, they call that power, lesser surrender. It's like, yeah. here I am. That's the first step they would say, you're ready to change. You're even contemplating the idea that something needs to change. I don't know what it is. If you're even thinking that, 
home run. It's okay to not be okay. Just speak it to somebody else who you think will listen. And when you do speak it to one person, two people, three people who shut it down, go to four. Because I can promise you somebody will be there to listen and accept you know, where you are, the stuck part. I think we could follow women's lead. I think right now women's voices are, are becoming elevated and they're angry. They should be because they've been suppressed mm-hmm. for years. And there's also the, the, the male side that needs to speak up and come out of hiding and come out of lonely. I mean, we could follow their lead. And those of us that are, I mean, it's, it's, it's not whether you're, you're not more evolved than the ones. I mean, I've been there. I was somebody that was shut down and scared and emotionally blocked. And now I'm awake and it is amazing. Maybe I need to be speaking out more and grabbing more men by the shoulder and say, come on, it's a pretty good ride. I love that. And I, and I love your point too about if the first, second, or third person shuts you down, go to the fourth. Um, and I think that's what we're afraid of, right? Is that we'll tell somebody and we'll be rejected or judged or they won't understand. And so we just stop the work right there. Yeah, rejection is a big one. It's a big one for me too. It's kept, that's another thing I'm, we could do another whole fun therapy session on. And I think I've tried to lean on you a little bit as a published you know, ahead of me in terms of as a creative published author and done some things. And I'm in that lane right now where I'm getting a lot of energy and have a lot of fear of rejection. And it's keeping me kind of stuck. So I get, I really get rejection can keep you frozen for a long time and it doesn't deserve it. Rejection doesn't deserve that much power, but unfortunately it gets it sometime. Yeah, it's, it is a very powerful force, isn't it? Mm. Um, I'd love to talk to you more about that. <laughs> I would. We, I we have to do fun therapy too. Um, the you know, we, we were just kind of talking, and in, in this this session is a little different in the sense of kind of tips and tools and helpful things. And you're just, I love, I love the just the value that you're bringing to those. Because I know, like for me, I'm going, oh yeah, that's 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 right. I need to do more of that. What the topic of anxiety. And depression. I hear that a lot in my conversations with people, and we see that a lot. And I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about anxiety, depression. I think there's some some new new ideas and some new um, research around anxiety and depression. So, if somebody was listening who is struggling with that right now, um, what what's some things that maybe they could start doing or maybe some next steps for their life? Number one, it's not abnormal, it's normal. Mm. Statistics show that now. Uh, un- it's, it's unfortunate that we, we grow up in imperfect family systems that uh, don't often reconcile or deal with stress and sometimes have trauma. So we grow up burdened, which is going to manifest sometimes into anxiety and depression. That's normal. It's not something that is wrong with us. It's not something that we... Um, so I think people stay stuck. I was uh, personally and then professionally. I think people stay stuck in their ability to reach out for support and help with that because we feel we're broken if we have it. And now, I mean, it is it is so common. I mean, one in one in four males, one in in three. I mean, you can look look at the statistics, and it's like when do we start looking at this? No different than our diets and how we have to mm-hmm. take care of that and ask for support there. So I would say number one, it's normal. Uh, number two, it doesn't mean that you have to go see uh, a psychiatrist and get on medication. I think there are some people who 
uh, medication protocol is absolutely called for. I've taken medication in the past. I don't right now. But the first step is just reaching out to somebody that knows a little bit about it, a counselor that knows a little bit about it or a coach that knows a little bit about it. You can also get some information online. But understanding is key when it comes to those two because understanding builds empathy and compassion. It, it separates that this is about you. But the most important thing I could say other than getting, I don't want to get into like here's the specifics mm-hmm. I know about these two conditions other than I've swim in, in and around them a lot is we got to normalize some of that stuff and bring it to the surface so that we can talk about it in everyday conversation, just like we do stress in the workplace. That's so good. And and I think, you know, a theme I've been hearing over and over again, just in this conversation is the rethinking about conclusions that we've come to about therapy, about anxiety, depression, about trauma. Like we have, we're operating from some old principles and when we start inviting some some new, relevant, more helpful ideas into kind of the way we do care and the way we get help and the way like that that's where the shift's gonna gonna come. And I love what you guys again, I love you as a friend. I love what you're spearheading here is that um, it doesn't look the way, you may think it's going to look, but it works, and it's freeing people, and it's it's um, it's so powerful. Miles, I um, we should do a fun therapy two session, and For we'll sure. just talk about we'll talk about that book project <laughs> and, and rejection. Will, that'll be a lot of heavy lifting on your end. But no, I'll, I I, uh, I I think I want to do that because I think all of us we're like I, I need help with the the rejection. A voice in in my head and your head and everybody else's head, but um, thank you for the work that you do. Um, I just have so much respect for you as a, a man, a husband, a dad, and clearly as a leader in helping people live whole lives. And just thanks for uh, thanks for this is our first on location fun therapy, by the way, which has been so yeah, cool. I think the first podcast I've ever done at. Onsite, so it's really cool too. But thank, th- thank you too. I mean, ultimately, nobody would know about what we do if it weren't for friends like you who are willing to share about their personal experience, but also just share it and trusting us enough to pass along the resource. We don't have a big, sophisticated marketing effort. Um, we just rely on on word of mouth and kind of organic growth. And so, we're honored that we get to do what we get to do. But um, we really value people like you who who believe in us enough to pass it along. So I'm really grateful. I. I believe. I believe. <laughs> and I love this place. It's had a profound impact on my life. And I'm so grateful. And thanks for uh, sharing today. It's awesome spending time with you always, my friend. Thank you. I want to thank again my good friend Miles uh, Adcox for joining me on Fun Therapy. Uh, hope you have enjoyed sort of this this different framework for uh, the podcast. We're going to probably do a couple of these where we just talk about helpful tools, uh, things that are, can help you grow and be free and to um, really begin to thrive in your life. Obviously, we're going to have lots of lots of stories, um, but I'm going to do a few of these where we just 
go off the script a little bit and um, really have a, an opportunity for us to, to learn some things about how we can start applying new techniques and strategies to our lives. And so, Miles, thank you for being a part of this and thank you for your work. Make sure to check out onsiteworkshops.com, onsiteworkshops.com and see all their different programs that they have. Uh, also, if you are enjoying the Fun Therapy Podcast, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review or a rating on iTunes. Make sure to tell your friends, email your friends, stand on a street corner with a sign that says Fun Therapy. I love Fun Therapy. Go subscribe on iTunes. We're a family here and uh, I love that we're getting to do this together and I love getting to hear from you guys and your stories and the things that are going on um, in your heart and soul. It's uh, It's been such a great season so far. Don't forget about uh, my new couples workbook called Five Dates. You can go to fivedates.co to pick up a copy. It's not available on Amazon, just fivedates.co. Uh, and don't work on your problems, work on your togetherness. Well, I think Ryan our friend sleeping at last for providing the music for this episode and Ryan you are incredible fun therapy as you know and if you don't know by now you're you should know this is a proud member of the relevant podcast network yes we are and we're proud of it um for more shows from the relevant podcast network make sure to check out relevantmagazine.com forward slash podcasts. Uh, follow me at Mike Foster 2000 on Instagram and hop over to my website at mikefoster.tv or secondchance.org. Guys, friends, thanks again for listening. Keep the emails and the tweets and the comments and the reviews coming. And remember, no matter what has happened in your story, that your setbacks can become your superpowers and honesty is always the best policy. We'll see you next time the Fun Therapy Podcast. Hey there, this is Eddie, host of The New Activist. You know, we created The New Activist podcast to be a place where we can learn from other people who are out in the world, who are going and serving and trying to make a difference in in any number of the huge issues that we are staring down today. And what I love about these interviews is not just that we're hearing from amazing people, but also we are learning how we can go and do likewise. I hope that you will join me in listening to and becoming The New Activist. 